Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. All right, great. <laughs> Good Lord. Welcome back to part two with the Dean and EJ, the Books Boy. Exciting stuff. Los chicos de los libros. So welcome los back. To... <laughs> welcome back Fanda to the boys. Part two of the books, boys. The Bifanda boys. PJ is going to be Fanda. There we go. Into the oh, yeah. Where's together. yours? Where's your Bifanda? Where's your scarf? I'm wearing my books boys T-shirt. I didn't want to cover it up. I'm I'm sporting. Well, we're, we're both that's advertising true. us in in different ways. Yeah, different ways. I suppose so. Yeah. Well, um, anyway, um, it's your turn. <laughs> Yeah, I was just saying that as as I'm constantly reading, asking it is given, I then moved on as well to read American Born Chinese by Jean Luen Yang. And Jean Luen Yang, this is a graphic novel. So this is um he's a, a Taiwan Taiwanese Chinese um author. And really this is just it was kind of um given to me to to teach with. So I'm here in Dresden again in Germany to cover as a as a German teacher for a month and I've just decided and I've just been asked to stay for another month. And it's got a beautiful library, I have to say, the Dresden International School. And really a, most of these books ha- come from that school and as well as the main city library. So right here the are the great books for kids. And this is from the school. And really I I, I thought it looked nice first of all. So I just thought, yeah, I'd like to read that myself anyway. Uh but really, the book is about, it was given for kids who are, for Ukrainian refugee kids. And I was wondering why exactly. But mm-hmm. then it made sense because this is all about, um, you know, foreign, uh, not foreign, but like um, people coming from overseas to America. And then really that, that cultural conflict. So as you title, right, American-born Chinese. And it starts off with, um, with, with it, there are three stories that intertwine. And the first one is the monkey, the monkey king or monkey god, and that's just kind of like an ancient Chinese kind of. He's a monkey king, and he can do anything he wants. And he smells a party, and he goes towards the party, and he's just, you know, he's just waiting for for eternity. It seems probably an eternity. And then he and and then just about he's about to enter, and the guard stops him and says, "You, you can't enter here." And says, "Excuse me, do you know who you're talking to? I have the deity of the Buddha." And but he says, yeah, you might be all of that, but you might know Kung Fu, whatever. It might be holy, but you are still a monkey. And then everyone at the party inside just, just laughs and just like pointing at the, at the monkey gods. And you see his face and all of a sudden it changes because first it just seems like a very kind of normal standard comic. Um, you see, it's the first frame, I would say, where you just see sadness in the monkey's eye uh, okay. face. But then, but then immediately it switches to, well, I'm going to kill everyone. And then he just kind of destroys everything. And it's back to that comic kind of nature. 
And when he, he, he just leaves, he doesn't, there's, there's no part, he just destroys everything. But when he goes back to his uh, monkey kingdom, he enters this cave and he just says something like, um, I just says something like, and the monkey king, he, he never realized that, that there was a stench and there's a stench of monkeys. And then the monkey god sat down to contemplate this for a very, very long time. And so already he's like, it's a dissatisfaction with who he is, you know. He's a monkey. He's, he might be God, but he's not human. Yeah, yeah. He starts off with he's already outside. And immediately moves on to the story of a young boy um, who, 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 was, who grew up in Chinatown in San Francisco and is then going to a, um, uh, to a standard San Francisco school. And he's immediately already bullied. And they say, oh, you eat dogs and whatever. All the stereotypes are compiled in this book. And he's, not, he's actually American. He's born in America. But yeah. But uh, PJ, what and would our hard. good friend uh, Peter Singer say about this uh, speciesism relating to the the human gods and the monkey gods? You know, well, so, that's so pointed. It doesn't matter. And uh, but nevertheless, the monkey feels it's it's not okay. He feels like he wants to be more, and so does the Chinese boy. He wants. Excuse me. And so does the um, Chinese American boy. She called. You see, there is already in the language, just the fact that you said Chinese, he's not really Chinese. And the stories about that are the stereotypes that people sometimes make unconsciously. And he ends up not being happy, being Chinese descent. And um, the third storyline is then basically a sitcom in the graphic oh. novel, already starting with like, ha 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 at the bottom. And it's just basically a, 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 a standard American boy, you know, blonde, and he's... Um, He's kind of like studying with 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 a girl, and they might be falling in love. But then all of a sudden, comes this really stereotypical, racist depiction of of, of a Chinese, like the most racist depiction of a right, Chinese right, right. man. And it's it's called something every everyone rubs one or something that's like playing with that they can't that they can't pronounce English words. And this is the most stereotypical, most, the really racist of the depiction of everything that is that you could have been a Chinese with. And he does it, the, the Chinese person. And it's very weird because it's like, what is going on in this novel? Why is this, why is it, why is this happening? Mm-hmm. But um, the stories intertwine and the American boy, I do want to give this slight spoiler. Oh, it's, it's just a twist. It's amazing. The American boy might not be a a Caucasian blonde person right. at all. Maybe it is a graphic novel. So are, are things being hidden away? And, really and it's about this is for children. This is for teenagers. Yeah, it's specifically written for educational purposes, actually. Uh, wow. But I think it's for children dissociative um, issues, or, or or just dealing with the plain Bring issue back of the uh, hungry caterpillar. Yeah, exactly. This this is this is this is dark <laughs> stuff, actually. And honestly, the 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 third section, it they all combined right at the end. So I can't, I don't want to say any more. Also for time issues, but let's just say that the sitcom part is probably the most philosophical part in the end, even though it may seem. And there's a reason why the the the, the Chinese cousin is so stereotypical. Um, let's just say he's something like a. Is something. Let's just say Christmas Carol esque. He's there to remind the blonde person about what who he really is. So it's like the stereotypes he's doing on purpose, sort of. So um, yeah, and uh, is it really three characters? Is the question as well? 
you might want to think about that. There might be less than you think. And okay. <laughs> it is absolutely it is beautiful. It's a, it's a great book. So American-born Chinese. Um, yeah. What about... Um, so that's a, that's the darkest one I, I have here on the list. Uh, but nevertheless, kind of like the most relevant one because he really wrote everything he could for a, a maybe a person not who came from overseas to America to maybe just also accept that mm-hmm. he will always be this person and that th- he doesn't have to try to be 100%. Okay. Whatever this America, even the, look the Amer. What is America? It's just it's it is a mixture of cultures. You know sure. what I mean? The Native Americans, they're, yeah, they're they're Americans, but like this this kind of ideal of like blonde rugby player, that's more like a Polish. Uh, I don't uh, offend the Americans <laughs> by calling American football rugby. It, it definitely is, but they they don't accept that. So, you see, that's the knowledge stereotype. So this is again like just a book about stereotypes and really recommend it. It's won a lot of awards, American born Chinese. To, uh, to Netflix. Playboy there, Alex so. to, to help us with this. Uh, he knows a lot about American football, I'm guessing. The American, <laughs> the American well, I, I, I doubt that he does. <laughs> yes. I doubt he does. I very much doubt that he does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh Lord. So what what about you? What else did you read? Going back to the old Socrates times. Yeah. So the next ancient world. And this was not intentional, by the way. I read five historical books. The first three were by chance. And then I thought, okay, I'll just do two more. So the third one is Apuleius, The Golden Ass. Now, this is a, 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 the only surviving... It's a I was, just, content, it's a I was getting a bit offended. Oh. I thought you were. I thought you were offending my my golden j- jumper. I just put on there. I thought you were kind of ending something there. Okay. This is the Robert Sorry, Graves who translation. Is uh, who's, who's you know he's a known translator to read these kind of works. He's quite good. And um, who who wrote I Claudius, which probably the first novel I Julia is a reference to the title. Oh yeah, the title would be yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. The Golden Ass. So sorry, can we? Yeah yeah, go ahead. Uh, also Wait, known as the transformation or metamorphosis. Okay, yeah. of Lucius. Now, yes, this is yes. by Lucius Apuleius. So it's he's writing about a fictional version of himself. This is a contender for the first novel. This is oh, really? okay. um, yeah. one of the contenders, at least. And it's the oldest, the only surviving uh, Roman Empire Latin novel, actually. Full novel. Oh, oh my God. I've heard of it, but I didn't know there was a novel. I thought it was a play. Okay. Now, it is an early novel, which means it's a bit more picaresque, right? So you right. wonder at times, could this have just been short stories? You know, is it really what we would call yeah. a novel? It's like, well, here's some stories, and then the character goes from one to the next, and you feel like, you know. But anyway, yeah. um, I'll give you an idea of what happens. So we begin with some stuff that's not actually relevant, okay? But we have a story where okay. someone has a dream. And in their dream, I, I only mention it because... Right. Who should be attacked and killed in their dream? I think it's a knife in the windpipe or something. Only a certain Socrates. <laughs> so still in the uh, culture, still in the pop culture, still in the lexicon, <laughs> and that's really he, he still reason. is. He still is. Yeah, well, still is today. Yeah. So because that dream relating to Socrates is the first thing we see, I thought I'd mention it, but it's actually not relevant to the story. Okay. Right. So then we move on. This is the problem is it is very picaresque and, and a lot of the stuff you wonder, you know, is it really all that relevant, you know? Mm. So we start with this, this, this story of Aristomenes, which is his, his dream, okay? So we skip through that. Now we're at Milo's house. 
So yeah. this guy's walking around. It is this picaresque idea, um, but he gets to this house and let me just see. Yeah, so there's a the exhausting sport he gets involved with, which is making love to a beautiful lady. Um, it's very clear that this book was written by a man and, and a horny one at that <laughs> because there's a lot yeah, of ideas okay. of people just, now this is, you know, <laughs> women just throwing themselves at him. Uh, I don't know about Roman society, but that is something that the Greeks really believed in. And you see it in their court speeches and plays and everything. There's a lot of like, you know, that we've got to keep these women locked up. Otherwise, they'll be throwing themselves at men left, right and centre. Like they think that women are just insatiable. You know? out, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> there's a lot of that in this novel. They wish. I, they wish, right? Yeah, yeah. So at times it's funny, and at times it's like cringy, you know. And it just depends yeah. on the on the on the circumstances. Um, so he gets involved with this girl, and they they kind of warn him, you know. She says to him, "You might today, I might taste like honey, but tomorrow, you know, you might feel me oh, burning Lord. at the back of your throat." I'm giving you fair warning. And he says, "Well, oh. what do I care, you beautiful thing?" So you know, war- warning aside. He gets involved with this, uh, you know, this creature anyway, and um, you know she climbs into bed, flings her leg over me, and she says she wants to fight me and kill me, and no quarter will be given. And we have our sleepless struggle and the exhilarating, exhausting sport, you know. So that's again not actually relevant to the main story, but it's the next thing we see. There's a bit I really, really love called the Festival of Laughter, where they they do this whole prank against him. He gets drunk and he he beats up a like an old bag or a bit of felt or something, and he thinks it's yeah. people. And they they arrest him and they they tell him that it's it's people that he's killed. And then they realize like it's just an old you know bit of cloth or something. And and he he, he yeah, goes yeah. through like a sham trial and everything, and he's like really worried. At the end of it, they're like, oh, Which, you know, it's just a prank. Reminds me a bit of. Um... Reminds me a bit of Shakespeare. Yeah, getting a bit of a Shakespeare vibe here, indeed. Yeah, I okay. suppose it, it is in a way, but it's quite funny. And he's very, you know, he's very annoyed that they would use him as the butt of their joke, and he takes it really thick. And he's he's not a good sport, you know. But it turns right, out that okay, okay. tradition in this in this city is to do the festival of laughter once a year and to do a prank on someone on some stranger. So they do it to him. Right. But he's, and they, you know, in the end he comes around because they make him like honorary, you know, person in the city or whatever and make him very important. And he, he says, well, okay, I'll just, I'll just about uh, accept this prank then, you know, but he says, he doesn't really love the fact that he's been, uh, he's been tricked, you know, that doesn't go down too well with him. <laughs> Okay. So it doesn't about... go down like honey. It's stuck in his throat. It's it burning is. his throat. You see, we're almost a hundred pages in before we get to the main story, which is Lucius is transformed. Okay, so this yep. lady transforms him into an ass, right? Into a donkey. Well, it's midsummer night's dream again. There you go. Yeah. Bit of Shakespeare. He's transformed into a donkey, and the he wasn't supposed to be. Like the spell goes wrong. I think he's trying to do something else or make someone be in love with him, or I can't remember what he's trying to do. But he ends up being a donkey. And she says, don't worry, all you've got to do is eat some roses and then you'll transform back. And he goes away and it's like the roses are dying. It's the wrong time of year. And he ends up being a wow. donkey for years. Um, I love that. I love the well, At least for a year until the, at least for a full year until the roses are reborn, I guess. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So but there's funny things where he's, yeah. He says, the only good thing about me being a donkey was an enlargement of a, of a certain uh, particular body part, you know. So again, we're, <laughs> we're straight back to that kind of... Uh, <laughs> But look, it's very positive. Right? He's looking at the bright side. He's looking at the bright side. But now it turns into an almost Don Quixote <laughs> type thing where he's going around from like... Donkey, did you get it? It's very Don 
donkey. Oh, oh. oh. he's oh. going around from place to place, like you know, getting beaten and like humiliated because he's a donkey and all this kind of stuff, and being put to hard labor and hard work and fed, you know, sleeping in the straw and fed scraps of food, and he's like still got his human emotions inside and he gets involved with like a kidnapping and there's bandits in the cave and everything. <laughs> it just goes, it goes all over the place, but in a, in a quite quickly. That was great though. It, it's, it's actually that, really, really funny. A, I really would like to read that, but that sounds just. It's just less so than read. 300 pages and the first hundred aren't relevant. And even in the second bit, there's a big, big story that isn't relevant. So it's only right, half okay. of the book is the book. So the actual, the actual story is about 150 pages and it happens very quickly then, you know? So he's going from place yeah. to place. And some of the things are ridiculous, you know? People still fall in love with him, even though he's a donkey. And this woman, like, wants to be his mistress. And she's like, throw, she arranges this big elaborate thing to, like, throw herself on the donkey. And then they but realize... But that is a midsummer nice dream. They yeah, realize... Yeah, Shakespeare must have read it. Yeah. He must have. They realize that the donkey can do human things. They, you know, they make a show of it. Everyone's coming around to watch the donkey, like, eat dinner at the table. And, <laughs> and, and they all watch the donkey make love to this woman. And then they say, well, she was a li- she's a little bit too middle. She's a little bit too middle class to do it at a public performance. So they find- no wonder this book isn't famous anymore. They don't allow it in the school. It's yeah. So they get a slave girl, and they say, you know, your social status is nil anyway. So you can do a public performance, and we'll have everyone gather around and watch you make love to the donkey. It's it's very bizarre. <laughs> this is this is just uh, what's going on here, Dean. What kind of book is this? I don't this know. Is- like I don't know what's happening. It, it, this is more taboo than American Psycho. It gets a bit crazy, to be honest. And uh, I'm not going to tell you whether he gets fixed or not in the end. That's the secret. No, I don't. But the only thing I will mention is there's a big Anna Karenina style aside where while they're in the cave, <laughs> the woman says, like, did I ever tell you the story about Cupid and Psyche? Well, here we go. I just <laughs> tell the story of... Uh, this beautiful girl, Psyche, she was so beautiful that no one would marry her. So the god Cupid, you know, takes her and um, it's weird. He won't let her see him. He's invisible, but he just keeps like making love to her anyway. And right, I was yeah. a little bit uncomfortable with that. But then she gets a, a bit rapey so. and then she gets a bit Stockholm syndrome and she falls in love with him anyway. And he's like, no one can ever let, you know, your, your evil sisters. So are let's, gonna... stop it. let's stop it right there. I think we need to go back to the children's literature now. Well, I think you're going too much now. Too I much. Just, we need to, to know about Cupid and Psyche real quick. She's got these two <laughs> evil stepsisters, like Cinderella almost, and they're coming in and they're trying to make Psyche um, figure out who Cupid is because they want to take Cupid from her and all this kind of stuff. Um, and then she burns Cupid's wing and he gets sad and he leaves her. And then Venus appears, Aphrodite, and she's Cupid's mum. And she's like really mean, but there's horrible scenes where they're like, there's a pregnant lady being flogged, and it's just like it's it's there's some really All right, kids books, you know kids books. <laughs> there's some really oh, difficult Lord. scenes, but the main story is really funny. Okay, yeah, it sounds. But PJ, the language, you want the language thing. <laughs> I mean, we need that palate cleanser. We need the cucumber sushi now. The language. We do. This this book is only allowed to be read. I'm telling you because it's old. It's just an old book. That's why it was allowed to be in school libraries. And this is it's the most graphic novel you've ever you've ever depicted. It shocking is actually language. very shocking in time at parts, but the rest of it's funny and it is it works. I yeah, don't know. Uh, Look, give us a palate like, cleanser. Give us some children's literature. Hey, here's for the cucumber sushi uh, section. Uh, let me tell you about um, a few of the other books I've read. So I do want to mention uh, these are these are the books I read and. 
I did specifically want to talk about why I think children books are why I'm reading children books. So, um, you know, as a teacher, I do think that this might seem a bit stereotypical. Perhaps I do think that the value of of stories are more relevant now than than ever. You know, in these dark dark times, rather than focusing on the war, I don't really read the newspaper anymore. I used to read the newspaper all the time but what i rather think is better is just to focus on like these positive stories that where children can can benefit where they can learn to be better human beings okay um, after so this is the reason why I'm, i i am searching for conscious children's books and really every book i have read here is uh conscious more than some more than others some are more i mean american board chinese is quite uh, quite dense politically almost um, so I want to talk about the others. I'm just going to mention them all briefly. So that would be Ray by Mariana Koppel about a light bulb searching a bigger light bulb. Hair Love by Matthew A. Cherry and Vashti Harrison, uh, which is a, a trend among, well, a trend among um, non-Caucasian authors in America to depict to depict really what it is like to be a Chinese American, an Afro American, uh, uh, whatever it is, Latin American, and this is one of those books which really is about it is about a child accepting her her well her Afro like hair. She's right. like wild hair, it's over place, and this is just what it is. I mean, these these books are really simple. That's why I don't need to talk about it so much. But really, this is another book about acceptance, and she's frustrated, and the dad really uh, wants to. Uh, wants to help her become friends um, with it. So Hair Love um, really, and it, he wrote himself, the author said he wanted a book as well, which depicts a positive family kind of uh, triangle. So where the father is actually supportive of the child rather than just working or just being absent. So there's mm-hmm. very small specific for the Afro-American um, community, uh, African, sorry, African-American community i don't know the right term that's that's why these books are so relevant because it's not really about the terminology it's the imagery which which are above that and they're trying mm-hmm. to teach child something so really i love that sorry i just mentioned ray i'll go back to ray by maria couple because it's just essentially and here are the drawings and all of these next books is really about the illustrations just as much as the text or even more and ray really just is a light bulb who just kind of he loves his little life and he's happy, content with it. But there's something maybe missing. And then one, <laughs> one day the father and the son uh, take him with him, uh, take him to a field trip. And he meets the forest and the moon. And he's just like in awe. And the next day he wakes, he, he stays up all night, just excited. And, and he sees the sunrise and he says, wow, that's the biggest light bulb I've ever seen. Yeah. And the book ends with him just smiling, being back in his home, and he's just smiling because he's he's seen such such beauty, kind of carrying the sunlight with him. That's the whole story, but there's no. I just I thought I'd tell the whole thing okay. this time because I think that's just spoiler a nice spoiler alert, PJ. Goodness. Well, yeah, I suppose prefer the kids, and um, also Cactus by Yoko Kitami, uh, Held in the Troll by Luke Person. Um, these two I, I really enjoyed. Uh, as well, because especially uh, I'll talk more about Hill than the Troll as a series in the next uh, months. It took me a while to find them. I've got them in several languages, so that'll be an interesting kind of episode okay. next month. Um, 
Cactus by Yoko Itami is 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 one where I did cry actually. I'll be honest with you. It's it's uh, hasn't happened for a while where I could cry. It's, um, wow. That I thought, yeah, that this is just a very simple story translated into Spanish. I'm, I don't think it's in English, unfortunately, but from Japanese about a boy who just he kind of lives in this very bizarre universe where they're like flying fish and like cacti that, that like produce caramel sweets and stuff like that. Mm. It's very Japanese. I love that. And he just he just wants to have a cactus. It starts off with, oh, so you're back. It says, yes, I, I really want the cactus. It kind of starts in the middle, like something happened before that. He obviously met cacti before. And then he just takes care of this cactus as if he were his brother. But the thing is, the story is about kind of like, it's two-sided. It's about giving too much love to someone. It's about not giving right love or not giving space because the cactus gets sick because mm. he wears like jumper. He travels around with the kids and is just getting too much water, too much love, too much baths. And, and, uh, and like, the more, well, the, yeah, but the more, but the more, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. But uh, he just ends up a very, he has a dream then and the cactus leaves him in a dream and he wakes up and the cactus is almost dead. And in the end, it's just like, I'm sorry, cactus, I'll let you go now, I'll bring you back to the garden. And it's kind of, but it's so sad though, because it's just, it's, it's very much like, because I could really feel that all the people in the world were like, they want to give so much love, but it's mm. also about letting go of your children. It's really like a book more for adults than for children. So kind of like letting go, don't don't pamper, don't give too much. Let go of that okay. love as well. And I thought uh, that was beautiful. Um, nice. To finish off, to finish off, um, I read uh, four books uh, by the same author because I thought he was really interesting. So I just read, read, read one of the other. And for some reason, almost all of these books are in Spanish. That was just it. It's just a very interesting <laughs> It's a just, it was just a very interesting Spanish section in the library of the school. And this is all by Satoshi Kitamura, who's a, a big fan of now. And the first one is A Boy Wants a Dinosaur and In the Attic, which was written by the South African author Hyrwin Oram, but illustrated by Sat- Satoshi Kitamura. And the last two were written and illustrated by Satoshi Kitamura, Me and My Cat, When Sheep Cannot Sleep, a counting book. And I'll just explain why I love Satoshi Kitamura. Why was this? It was really the illustrations that got me even more than the stories. That's why I was really looking for his books. He's a he's a, a man who left Japan was really without any education. He just really just wanted to draw, and he worked uh, drawing postcards in London for a few years in the eighties, until he got his first gig, so to say, with Hiwan, like Hiwan Oram. And now he, yeah, that became a thing. So I really believed in what he did. And he's got a very unique sort of, uh, again, slightly animated style meeting Western style. It's really kind of in the middle. Like the characters, they seem more, they always look a bit more uh, Han, Han Chinese or Japanese. And mm. yeah, but uh, yeah, but it's almost, it's got a particular look. So look up Satoshi Kitamura. Um, beautiful. But the one I want to talk about is In the Attic, which is maybe the most philosophical of all children's books I read, which is about a boy who's bored with his toys and he just looks in the attic to see what there is. And there's a beautiful passage. I've got, I've got this one here, dude. This is it. Uh, oh, there's a beautiful... Right. But hold on a second. But there are beautiful illustrations here because he goes into the attic and literally there are windows opening up 
to different universes, but it's really his mind. So like really he can open up his look at this. This is this is one of the best. I love this painting. I'm just gonna show it to you now. Did you see here kind of? And he's like very nice. and he's open, yeah. He's opening up windows to like like the desert, to like the savanna, to like fields, like kind of Heathcliff kind of look. Oh, there is one where he's like looking at an angler fish in the depth of the ocean. And really it says here, Abri una ventana que abría otras ventanas. I opened up a window that opened up further windows. And he meets a tiger in the attic. <laughs> so that's like, that's a bit of a reference there. Uh, but you know what the twist is? About to tell this because that's the whole point. Don't tell us the twist, right? Ah, uh, well, look, just close your ears for five seconds. Just for five seconds, okay. not more, listeners, if you don't want to hear this. The twist is there is no attic. The mother at the end asks, but what? There is no attic. And then he says, well, she doesn't know how to get in. And this is the most powerful book. Probably I've ever read about children's imagination and the power. Right. For, the, for those of you, you who are no mind. longer listening, you can now start listening again. <laughs> you can start listening. So that's what I recommend. And to finalize this, now it's been a bit of a, it's been a quite a few books. Just didn't want to spend all the episode. The final book I read was another moving book. Very quite. This is probably the most unknown book, to be fair. This is Yo Tengo Una Casa. This time it's it's really a Mexican book by Claudia Lignati. And this is I Have a House. And it's just about a house that moves. And it can grow in size, from smaller, or go within, go without. And just it's in most bizarre place. It's a picture book. And nice. really the morale of the story at the end is, well, my house is wherever I go. And I'm just wondering what is, I'm not, I don't know enough about Mexico, but I'm just wondering what the background is. Is she kind of saying there, which happened to many Mexican citizens in, in the last few years, especially that you carry your home within. It's not about a physical place. Mm. It's that your home is inside of you. And okay. I thought that was very moving as well. And my, my wife, these are all very simple premises. There's no need to maybe get too much into them, although I could talk about three or four hours about the themes. But really, these books, I think, are relevant for kids. These are good messages for kids sure. and for the adults to remind themselves. So tying in, lastly, to Christmas, I literally do think that these are great Christmas presents for your kids because it's fun. It really relaxed me. It's been one of the most relaxing reading, obviously, for me yeah. ever. So it's been a, a delight. I really just enjoyed the, the power of the imagery and the message behind it. And um, highly recommend these books for different reasons. Listen back if you want to know which reasons are best. If you're having someone with uh, disassociation, I do recommend American Born Chinese uh, or Hair Love. But if you want to, to increase the power of imagination, any book by Kitamura. I like or if the sound of Hair Love. Uh, I like the sound of Hair Love. Yeah, hair, yeah, I knew you like the sound of hair love. <laughs> That's the lightest, but also a pure delight uh, book. So definitely, guys, um, clever, clever children books. And we'll get more. I'll get more into Luke Pearson's Hilda series, which I did not mention at all on purpose. But I'll explain why that is a great series of uh, of okay. books in the next okay. episode. Back to history. <laughs> Back to the dark history, yeah. You might have heard of this chap, PJ, uh, Alexandre Dumas. Um, I, well, I know a certain Alejandro Dumas, maybe. This is Alexandre a book, Dumas. Well, you won't have heard of the book. It's called Acte. 
I see. Another kind of strangely translated uh, book into Spanish and back translated into English. Yeah. This is about, um, well, it's about 250 pages, short short enough book, okay? Uh, not great. Bits of it are good uh, overall. I, I don't, I don't know. I'll give you a quick uh, couple of minutes rundown <laughs> on this one, okay? Yeah, so we have ahead. a girl, Acte. She's a Greek uh, girl in the Roman Empire days, okay? And a chap comes called Lucius. There's games on. There's like poetry competitions, wrestling competitions. And a Roman chap turns up called Lucius. And he wins everything, beats everyone up, does great poetry, plays the lyre beautifully. Just amazing, beautiful quite man. A, and she just falls in love, you know. And But he's also very, you know, he decides that she's beautiful and he wants her. And he's also not really going to take no for an answer. And he's going to do all these impressive things to win her over. And at one point, they're being attacked by a tiger and he tames the tiger. And the, the, the Praetorian guard come <laughs> and they think, well, all the guard are coming. You're going to be in trouble. And he just, you know, dismisses the guard. And they're like, who is this guy? Yeah. What's going on? Um, and he starts besmirching all the past emperors. And they're like, you're going to get in trouble. What's going on? And he says, I want yeah. you. And I'm going back to Rome. And you're coming with me. And you're my wife, basically. Uh, but she... Now, now the, story, just, the story sounds good so far, though. Yeah, the story, the story is good. Yeah. And she immediately is head over heels in love. And she's like, I can feel it. I belong to Lucius. Like, she just decides I am his already. And that's it. Uh, I don't like the idea of, like, this belonging and and things like that. But look, it's fine. And he says to her at one point, to the tiger, he says to the tiger, Phoebe, don't worry. When we get back to Rome, I'll feed you some Christians. I I don't know if that... Does that give you a clue? Because they get back... Yeah, yeah. No, again, I mentioned Quo Vadis by Shinkiewicz, a Polish classic, where it's, where it's about Romans torturing right. uh, Christians. So they, get, sounds, yeah. they get back to Rome, and this chap, Lucius, who she's not married, she ends up, I really, I suppose, being more of his mistress, but this chap, Lucius, that she belongs to, yeah. is the Emperor Nero. <laughs> oh, mercy, exactly what is Quo Vadis. That's about the Emperor Nero. Yeah, and, and he's the book, one yeah. who used to, you know, put Christians on stakes outside of his you know, house and have them all burnt in rows and, and that kind of yeah. thing. Um, it's a big thing, Quo Vadis, in great detail, yeah. yeah. And she, she meets his mother, Agrippina, and she befriends her, and she actually asks the mother to help her, but Nero's actually trying to kill his mother. But Nero's very sweet Not with her. Child. And then there's a slave who, it's an interesting story, at one point he's make Nero's um, in love with the slave and marrying her, which is a bit, you know, against the social norm. But then the slave plays two roles, a male role and a female role, and just like changes dress. And it's an interesting uh, sort of thing to to happen at that time. Yeah. But we do feel a lot for this girl. Here's the problem. She disappears uh, three quarters of the way through the novel. So this novel also at times just turns into Wikipedia articles about Rome. He's so faithful to the history. So that's where it goes downhill. And she's not even in the last quarter because it's just a summary of the Roman Empire, you know? And at, at one point, she meets the apostle Paul and he rescues her. Right. Paul, who's, uh, you know, a very important figure in the in, in the formation of, of the religion of Christianity. And he's like, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm an apostle. I'm called Paul. You don't know about Jesus. Well, here we go. And then just like 50 pages of like summarizing the gospels, you know? Wow. So... The Anacreon method is being used. 
which was again because I think of Quo Vadis, those about Quo Vadis does a good job in not doing the anagram methods. So it's a great book for that if you're interested in Nero's time and the conflict, mm. you know, Christianity is struggling at that time. And the poor girl is horrified when she, you know, sees these like parties and orgies and, and all the stuff that mm. Nero is putting on in his house. And she's blushing and she runs away and tries to flee because she just wanted to marry a sweet man who knew how to wrestle and say poems. You know, this isn't what she was looking <laughs> for. So oh, yeah. it's it's very interesting. Uh, it's It's a fun read. I just kind of wish that Maybe just skip the ending, you know, just once she disappears, just skip the rest because nothing really happens right. in the last sort of quarter of the book. Oh, if I can mention the philosophy of Abraham again, uh, that's a very important part of the book I forgot to mention. You kind of attract what you focus on. It's maybe nothing complete, not relevant to the book, but I'm just saying like the fact that she attracted this into her life was because she focused on it. It's just uh, something to be mindful about. If you focus too much on negative things, negative things do appear mm. in your life. If you read about the war, you will focus on war and it will get into your head, that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, I just thought about that. And we meet, you know, we see, they talk about, you know, he's an apostle the same as an orator. She thinks that Paul is, you know, like Demosthenes and the Greek chaps. We also, yeah. they talk about Herod and Pontius Pilate and we get into the history and things like that and yeah. I'm not a big fan of, you know, Paul kind of says, I'm not here to, you know, deal with slaves. I'm here to free people. And well, I, I could argue whether that's true or not. But look, we don't we don't need to kind of get into the, to the religion side of things. The story is good. I just wish that it stayed a story and didn't become a Wikipedia article. <laughs> yeah, I got it. Yeah. Shall I cover my last book? Go ahead. You may have heard of this. This is an abridged version of... Sir Thomas Mallory's Tales of King Arthur, the original book, Le Mort d'Arthur, the the death of Arthur. Um, This is an abridged version. And Michael Sr. is the name of the chap who edited it. Um, Look, I'm not going to spend long on this. This was incredibly, incredibly boring. Oh, no. I thought it was going to be thrilling. I was very disappointed. Oh, no. So we skip, I mean, the, I don't know if this is just the way he's abridged it. All the famous bits are done very quickly. So like Arthur becoming king, um, the lady in the lake, uh, the sword in the stone, you know, all this kind of stuff, meeting Lancelot. All very, very yeah. brief in a very short space of book. And then we spend a massive, massive section of book looking at Lancelot and Tristram. I'd never even heard of Tristram. So we spent a lot of time looking at the adventures of this one irrelevant knight. And then it's not even Why, relevant yeah. to the story. And then we just go back to Lancelot at the end. And we have the whole, a big section on the Holy Grail. We have Lancelot yeah. and Elaine. There's a girl that he fell in love with, or well, she loved him. I think he didn't really love her. He loved Guinevere, who was actually Arthur's uh, husband. Um, but... Oh, who's just walked into the room is Dark Place Robert, who's actually in the in the building with me. But I think he's he's very busy uh, working over there. Uh, he's not going to come and say hello. He is he going to come and say hello? Yes, I'll come and say hello. Come We've got Dark Place Robert. Oh, look. Hello, how's everybody getting on? Not too bad, not too shabby. How about yourself? You also didn't like King Arthur, book, right? You said it was boring. No, that was you. Oh, that was me. Okay. I thought you agreed. <laughs> I saw it super earlier. You seem to agree. Did you read it yourself? Did you read, read it yourself? Of Falconry. That's about the height yeah. of 
The pictures are good. Oh, you just failed the boredom. The pictures so are good. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very boring book. The section of the Holy Grail is really long. Interesting, I learned something that I didn't learn from the Monty Python movies. Sir Galahad was not another knight, but actually Lancelot's son in these. So he, oh, right, yeah, he grows up to be a knight, but he's Lancelot's son. He's not the same age. Um, I'm, I'm not going to get into this because I think everybody knows about the sword and the stone and they, you know, they know about Arthur. I don't remember a dragon in this book. I always thought that Arthur fought a dragon at one point. Um, maybe I made that hmm. up. I don't know. I but, think so, to make it more interesting. Yeah, the, the main bits are the search for the grail and Tristram. The the <laughs> the ever popular Tristram is uh, taking up a popular. third of this book, big, you know. Big on Instagram right now, yeah. right? I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. La- Lancelot appears more than Arthur does. It's it's kind of weird. <laughs> I don't know why Arthur's not that important. Um, but it's written in Middle English as well, so it's kind of difficult to get through, and it's just well, it's kind of boring, to be honest. But the pictures are lovely. Lovely, uh, colorful pictures of um, all these medieval scenes. I'll just show you an example there. We get all this right. kind of thing just peppered throughout the book. So you, you, if you want to, you're tying it, you're tying it very neatly to the children's book section again now. Yeah, I would recommend people look at the pictures and maybe just like go watch a movie about King Arthur or something because the, the, the books <laughs> is is very. Oh, cool. Go watch Monty Python. Yeah, yeah. Nice, nice. Oh, very nice. I think that's about wraps it up for for this month. That's basically uh, all that we have read indeed. So I'm just going to see what song we're going to end with. Oh, hold on a second. Now. PJ, the phone oh. is uh, ringing again. Bear with me. I'm just going to pop over and see who's uh, on the line here. Who's that? Hey, you're through the books, boys. You've got Dean on the line. Who's calling? Hello, Dean. It's Lindsay. Hey, Lindsay. How's it going? I'm doing very well today. How are you? I am good. So you wouldn't be Lindsay Seeley, author of Made for More, would you? Which I conveniently have beside me here. <laughs> that's me. That's me. <laughs> Lindsay Seeley, Made for More. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> we actually, I read this uh, last month and we, we talked a little bit about it on the show, but I'm glad that you've called in because we can we can go a little bit more in depth on this one. Um, I'd love that. I suppose I want to ask you first of all, because like we we interview a lot of people who maybe it's like their debut novel and this kind of thing, but this is more of a, a help book, but you've written loads. This is like nowhere near your your debut. So how many have you how many have you written, first of all? Well, I've written uh two other ones before Made for More. I wrote Growing Strong Girls, which was really um a parenting uh resource for for parents of, of pretty young girls, preteens, we call them. Um, so say eight to 13. And then I followed that with Rooted, Resilient and Ready. So still for parents and now supporting teens who can be a little bit trickier than the little girls. And um, obviously there's more complex and complicated issues. And then I decided to kind of keep going with the the ages and stages mm. and to, to write something um, that was really Yes, for parents, but this one, this one is a little bit different because it's actually for young women. Like I, my hope is that young women or less than young, like a little bit older women too, are reading it and, and taking from it instead of having it be a parent resource. It's now um, a young person resource. Right. So do you think, I mean, I guess you've got brave new girls and you've got this kind of mission, I suppose. Do you think that, you know, putting it out there for the young people as well as or instead of the parents you know does that better help you to achieve your goals I guess well I just think like when I started Bold New Girls I 
I had come from a place, a job, which was really like, I felt like it was nine to five and really in a box and there's lots of rules and lots of bureaucracy. And I think <laughs> leaving that job and really thinking about my what's next and my dreams and, and creating the company that I really wanted to, which is a company that empowers girls, uh, young women through education and through um, the empowerment tools like personal growth and development. I really was intentional about not having limits or limitations. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't want to work the nine to five. I didn't want to work in an office. I didn't want to have the same day. Oh my gosh, over and over again. So really like I didn't know what was going to happen. I knew I had, you know, definitely passion, interest and experience in working with younger girls, say between 10 to 15. But then I started to get the really little girls. And then I started to get older girls and older women and parents and, and teachers and schools and, and also boys, like mm -hmm. younger boys, teen boys, um, young adults at the college I work with. And so I really decided like, yes, I guess the face of my company is old new girls and that's, you know, great for marketing, but I, I added brave new boys. And I just decided like, I don't care who needs my help. If you need my help, I am more than happy to show up for you. Mm -hmm. And that's how it became. So pretty, pretty fluid and pretty flexible. But it's nice that it's flexible. It's nice that it's kind of expanded yeah. or, or grown and you can help more people. So let me make sure I get it right, the right it. way around. We've got bold new girls and brave new boys. Yeah, that, that's correct. Cool. You got it. Yeah. And I mean, are you doing all of this yourself or what kind of like support have you got in that? Well, I do have a partner who is, he does most of Brave New Boys. But what's interesting is that there's a lot of clients that we share. And I think it's actually really great that we we came to the realization, you know, <laughs> we live in a society that's very black and white. And it's like, but maybe it's not like, you know, little boys need both like feminine influence and masculine influence. And same with girls. And so yeah. where we can, we, we do share our clients. Um, just it depends on, you know, what their needs are and what they're comfortable with, what they're looking for. But but yeah, I do I do share and um and I'm also yeah, we're we're just really aware of inclusivity and um that we have different strengths and different areas of growth and, and sometimes the, the combination is magic. Nice. Good. Good. Um, Hit them with a the combination. I really think yeah. that a lot of guys <laughs> could use more feminine influence. That's something like oh, just in my day to day 100%. life, it's something I'm always kind of spouting. Like, you know, we need we need more feminine influence for men. Um, so that's really good that you are kind of trying to combine the approaches there. So I had, a, you know, going through the book and I want to just kind of mention two or three little things that I really like. Uh, so one of the main features of it is these more or less lists, right? So just as an example here, more playfulness, more creativity, more time in nature. That's one of my favorites. And then we've got like less sadness, less pain, less fear. So I'm reading through this and I'm looking at it. I'm thinking, yeah, like this seems reasonable. Um, and it seems almost obvious, but then I'm thinking, hold on, how, not even how much time in my day, how many days in the week do I stop to actually deliberately do this? You know, so it's easy right. saying, oh, yeah, you should have less fear and pain. It's like, yeah, yeah, that seems obvious, but am I actually taking steps to do that? Or, you know, I like time and nature and creativity. Am I actually taking steps to like increase the amount of creativity that I'm doing or playfulness or connections with other people? So I, I stopped and kind of looked at it and I thought, yeah, my, my first glance, you know, was like, yeah, yeah, this is this is cool. I'm doing that. And then my second thought was, am I, though? Like, do I need to put some work mm -hmm. into this? So it kind of made me think, mm -hmm. which I which I liked. And, you know, time in nature is a great one. It's a little bit tricky in the winter. It's very cold in Ireland, but I do love it in the summer. Just going for walks. Last mm -hmm. summer, I took six weeks off work 
And I went every single day for walks in forest parks, hikes, you know, small mountains and hills, just around lakes everywhere. And time in nature, I think is really, really great to, just for your mental health and, and everything. Yeah. But I wanted to ask you, um, do you think, because you've, you've got the different age ranges that you're targeting. Um, do you think that Gen Z, the kind of the youth of today are facing different challenges than like previous generations? And if so, like what, what do you think makes it different? Like what can we do to help them that would be different from like, you know, ourselves and, and millennials and Gen Xs and things? Yeah, hundred percent. So, well, first of all, I'm very happy that you spent time in nature because if you're like me, it's <laughs> I was also very restoring <laughs> and very, you know, it it brings a perspective that sometimes we miss or we just get too in our heads and our busyness and in our to do. So, I'm really happy for you. Um, do I feel? Yes, I I think every generation has its um, challenges to contend with, and every generation is different. So the world changes, and we all change how how we're navigating the world. But I do feel like huge empathy for this generation, for Gen Zers, because I think the big, big difference is that we have, we, we all have to navigate and really try to deal with screens, devices, and social media. And that is brand new, just the technology age, right? And mm-hmm. with that comes the speed with which we get information, the access, the, basically I tell girls, like there is no stop. It's 24 seven. It's really hard to say, well, I'm not going to look at my phone, but everything's beeping and buzzing and blinking Mm -hmm. and notifications. And, and it's really hard. And when we stay away from it, we feel like we're missing out or we're not going to be informed enough or whatever. So I just feel like we're all trying to figure out how do we do this? Like, how do we find health, happiness and balance, even though the world is like so busy, so stimulating, there's so many choices. There's like, like, I feel like the girls that I, or the young women I work with have these boulders on their shoulders and they're like, it's too much. (laughs) I can't deal with it. There's just so many expectations, so many um, pressures to prove themselves. There's so much going on. And it's like, I I don't feel like any other generation has had the intensity that we Mm -hmm. have or the fact like we're all, we're all living, but now we're living like on a stage, like, you know, under a magnifying glass, like it, it's different. And yeah, we have some control of what we put out there. But I think that that alone is just, it's hard. And I don't think anyone's really figured it out. Yeah. We're all doing the best we can. But I don't know if I can like reduce all that down to like, well, just do this, Dean, and mm. you'll be fine. <laughs> I like that you said I, we're all living on a stage because that feels like I've never sort of heard someone put it in those words, but it immediately feels like perfect like yeah that is exactly what we are doing like with all the you know instagram and tiktok and everything it's like all of your life it's like being in a reality show 24 7 and i worry because like millennials have that too but they can just about remember when it wasn't like that and i worry for gen z because they're like this is normal (laughs) this is what i was born with a phone in my hand um that's right we have the contrast and i try to bring those stories to to the people that i work with and just say look there was a time where I had to deal with tough stuff, but I didn't have, I didn't have it, you know, someone posting about it or, <laughs> or yeah. being mean, mean online or bullying me about it. But I think that maybe back to your more or less um, uh, ideas, like, or what you were beginning, what you said at the beginning of this question is that maybe that is it. Like if I could simplify it, it's like, we know that there's a lot going on. And so can we live with intention? 
And I think a lot of our intentions are made, this is personal experience, but I, I will offer this is they're made because we feel like something's wrong. Like I'm too stressed. I'm too sad. I feel too busy. I can't do today. Like when I get to those moments and when, you know, the young women I work with get to like, I don't want to call it rock bottom, but just difficulty and just challenges. That's when we're really like forced to change. Like I'm sick of being this way. I'm sick of feeling like that. Like I just, I need to do something different. And that's where it becomes beautiful. I call it like that's empowerment. Like, okay, Mm -hmm. you're not happy with being too busy. What do you need to have less of? maybe less time on your phone, maybe less Netflix, maybe a few less friends that really aren't fulfilling to you anymore. Like you are the decider. And in that way, this book is really personal and it's really customized because I might not have that same problem. I love being busy. And like, for the most part that I thrive in busyness, but that's not my problem. My problem might be sadness or depression or whatever, whatever it is I'm going through. But I think it's when we hit those, those stuck points where we're like, i I just, I'm not happy here. I don't want to be here. What do I need to do to change? And then like you said, you have this idea. Well, I want to spend more time in nature. Well, how are you going to do that? <laughs> what does that look like on your schedule? Like, yeah. Where are you going to do it? What does that mean for how long? Is it solo or with friends? Like you are the decider of this stuff and then go and do it. Hold yourself I, accountable. Yeah. I think you need to get a little bit more into, you know, into specifics. And I, and I like that there is that flexibility and, you know, in the book, it's not just kind of saying everyone should immediately spend more time in nature and get off your phone. It's like, well, how does that, as you say, like, how does it actually fit your schedule? And also is that yeah. what you need? Like, will that actually help yeah. you? Because we're all different. So I like that there is that little bit of um, person uh, personalization, you know, like you can kind of tweak it to what actually works for you. And I think that's what makes it really great, you know? Some of the other things I like, so, I mean, this particular book is is aimed at females, but I'm reading it and I was really excited then to see that you had um, Brave New Boys as well, because I'm reading it and I'm thinking, I kind of feel like a lot of this also applies to me as a guy, like I'm taking mm-hmm. a lot out of it as well. And one of the, a couple of things that I love are um, the, the do, delete and delegate Um so it's kind of, well, I don't know, I'm telling you, you know, but just to tell the listeners, it's kind of like, what do you need to do now to kind of prioritize it? What can be delegated to someone else? It's almost a management style, you know, and what can you delete? Like, you don't really need to do this or you don't really need to do it right now. And it's something that I've kind of started doing now over the last few weeks, just in my own life. Like, how can I get my schedule to make more sense? Because I'm one of those people that's like, okay, let's try to cram 15 hours of activities into like a six hour period, you know, so now it's like, (laughs) so now I'm trying to like figure out, okay, do all these things need to be done and in what order, you know, and then we've also got like a little timeline, which I think is handy, like, um, not, not like a daily timeline, but you include almost a yearly kind of like which priorities need to be done early in the year. Maybe let's review around, you know, set yourself goals over the year and then review like at the midpoint, like June or July and kind of see how you're getting on. And that's also something that I think is really, really handy. And I know I maybe make that my New Year's resolution when we get to, to January to be like, okay, what do I actually want to get done? And then halfway through the year, like, okay, don't beat myself up over it, but let's uh, tweak the priorities a little bit and see how we can get on the second half of the year. So I like that. Can I speak to the timeline? Because you just made me think of something. Um, I think that's very popular that we say like, oh, okay, I'll wait till January. Or for me, it's often like the beginning of the school year. And, And then lately I've been thinking like, no, no, I think if we have this idea of like goals, 
on any day, we should actually start that day. Start that day, yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to give you homework, Dean. I'm going uh, no. <laughs> to create the timeline. So your timeline isn't going to start in January. It's going to start in November or December. And you're going to draw it. And you can just obviously draw it until, you know, October of next year. But it's like, I think that that's something that's really important is like, okay. I, I like to ask the question, like, why wait? So if you have the idea, and sometimes, you know, the motivation, excitement, enthusiasm, go for it. Because Just in the waiting, it. some yeah, sometimes it's forgotten. And sometimes, like you said, other things become priority. But I think having a sense of both, like where we've been, I like to go backwards first and where we're going actually is pretty important for our day to day. So mm. then when we when we link it back to the three D's, that really came from my very high moments of stress. I think the highest stress I felt is in creating Growing Strong Girls because I was a new author and I was... Yeah scared <laughs> and I was still doing my job and my life and I like to keep busy with all the other things but um I remember complaining we'll say to my partner and he's like just go back to your calendar and I was like what that's like the worst advice ever when you're stressed <laughs> you want someone to like hug you and be like it's okay you're amazing but he's very logical and I was like what the heck go back to my calendar so I had to really wrestle with what he was saying but he was saying basically you're in charge. Yeah. So today, if you're feeling too stressed, that's a day where you delete. Tomorrow, if you're feeling a bit better, maybe you do some jobs, but you can you can also you can delegate some people to to do that. Maybe you're taking on too much and you're not realizing like, you know, that isn't actually your job or that's not your expertise. And then there are days where you just need to roll up your sleeves and do the work. Like stop the planning, mm. stop the thinking, just just do it. And all of these feel good because you're the decider and you're in charge and you're managing your stress and you're also really prioritizing what is most important for today. You, There's no such thing as multiple priorities in a day. That it, The word priority means one. It's one thing, yeah. Sure. You can pick one or in my case, because I do have many priorities. <laughs> I'm like, how do I make this like little, you know, piece of wisdom true for me? But I can have priorities, but it's one priority at a time. Sure. So that today, my priority, this conversation. And then after this conversation, I'll go on to my next priority. Mm. But if this conversation took all day, then that priority, a second priority just gets bumped tomorrow. But it's really... To me, it's I, I like to approach it with like a playfulness and a creativity mm. and a flexibility. Like, sure. yeah, I do my timeline. And of course, that can change. But the goals are there. And then I work backwards. How am I going to reach those goals? And what does that mean for each day? And I, I just believe that that's where you know, we get we get done what we really want to do other um, other than, you know, or otherwise we procrastinate and stuff just doesn't get done. We're just too busy with the other stuff. So. Yeah, I think that, that all makes sense. I was frantically flicking through the book there so I could get the names right for the last thing I wanted to say that I really liked, which is the um, the triple time motivator. So the fast 15, the half hour hustle and the par hour. I love those because, well, they sound nice because they got alliteration. But no, I also like them because yeah. it's like, oh, okay, try to figure out. So you put, for example, catching up on the news that can be done in 15 minutes. Maybe your laundry or cleaning your car is half an hour, maybe exercising or, you know, reading preparing for a project you need the power hour so i kind of like that idea of just like focusing down like your different tasks as well like not not necessarily just prioritizing them in order but also like how long do they actually need i mean like there's your solid r on like preparing this project and we'll just do it you know and then it's like okay and then this other thing like 
that only needs half an hour and just but but right. kind of being focused on it and doing it and not just like messing around you know I like that <laughs> well it's because I think our brains work really well with like order organization structure patterns predictability like all that stuff our brains are like hey like I want like a routine and so one of the things that helped me especially for the things I do not like to do like cleaning the house is seeing that there's a beginning and an end because if you said just clean your house to me that's like the abyss and that could be forever and who's gonna start doing something that's going to take forever and is also like not enjoyable right so I play little games with myself (laughs) and I say okay I'll just you know turn on the timer for an hour and flip it instead of I have to clean for an hour it's more like how much can how much cleaning can I get done in half an hour and I think the brain does really well. Like once that timer goes off, I'm free. And usually I just keep going because then I'm into it. But I think it's just a way to like get myself to do things that I don't necessarily want to do. Mm-hmm. And I think it's nice to have the end point. So it's not forever. Our brain does really well in those like structures and, and details. And and I think we all, like I said, with the timeline, I think we all have a tendency to wait until we feel motivated. But I just don't think that's, logical like I think it's more like no you take a step and you start creating momentum or energy and then the motivation follows it's sort Mm -hmm. of like you just gotta do it I don't feel like running every day but I know to get ready and the night before and I see my runners there so there's the visual reminder and I think in the morning okay I don't feel like doing it like that's normal but I can just put on my runners so I put on my runners and you know put on my running clothes and just open the door and maybe I say I'll just take a step. Mm. So I take that step and it's like you know what that kind of feels good. I'll take another one. It's not that slow, but <laughs> I'll take another step and another step and then soon yeah. I'm running and I'm like you know what Since you gotta I'm trick here, yourself like I hey I, well I happen to be running. outside in my running clothes. Yeah, I guess I'm gonna run. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're running, but it's like again we're always trying to get to that feeling like when you're managing your schedule you feel like you're in charge you feel less stressed when you're doing the thing that you don't want to do with some you know self-guidelines you start to feel really proud of yourself and accomplished and good and and confident and I think that those are really important lessons mm. that we have to experience I can't tell you that that's how it's going to be you have to experience it and then when we succeed at things we're even more motivated to do it again or do it differently in another area. So it's pretty, it's pretty exciting stuff, actually. You do have that chain of motivation, especially with the cleaning, (laughs) as you said, Uh, like you don't want to start it, but then once you get started, you're like, okay, I can keep going. I can actually do a little bit more because like, I mean, not not that you're necessarily enjoying the cleaning, but you can see that you're actually getting through it and like, oh, this isn't so bad. Like I can just, you know. But you do enjoy the results. Like when my partner is way cleaner, (laughs) but I come home and it's like, it smells like lemon and everything's put away and like, it actually is huge, I think, for mental health yeah. and like for how I feel. And I'm like, you know, I wish I was as clean as him. I'm not bad, but it's like, I know the results are huge. So that's like pretty motivating. For the first time in a good while, I deep cleaned my oven this week. And it was something I was like, no one's going to see in there. It doesn't matter. And now I've done it. And it's so sparkly. And I'm like, can I, can people come around and look at my oven? Shall I cook for everyone? Like, look how sparkly it is. You know? <laughs> and and you're going to want to keep it clean. Yeah. So you're like, yes. That was all, like that was four hours of work and it's kind of disgusting, right? And so you're like, okay, from now on, every time something drips or, you know, I just give it a quick wipe and it's like, it'll never get this disgusting again. 
<laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> well, let me ask you, what is next? What's the next book or the next project? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I have a sense. So I, this hasn't been like, I don't have, I haven't signed a contract. I haven't like even had a, a much of a conversation with my publicist, but I, I just feel like I'm like with Made From War, I almost caught up to my age, almost. <laughs> so, you know, you might hit 30s, 40s. It's still very applicable. So mm. I'm thinking it's really important given, you know, the upside down world that we're now living in. And the fact I know a lot more now, like after writing Growing Strong Girls, I would love to go back to the beginning, almost like a prequel to Growing right. Strong Girls. Because I'm thinking, I don't know, like call me crazy, but I'm thinking like, if we go to the very beginning from like zero, essentially eight to nine, and we are having conversations with girls about, you know, listening to their bodies and like feeling all their feelings and, you know, being brave and taking chances and being confident. Like, I'm pretty sure those very young girls are going to become stronger little girls, teenage girls and young women. So I, I really want to like get ahead of it, almost like a preventative um of how to really for parents. And I think the big focus for me is going to be on stories. I think stories are so powerful and meaningful and heartfelt and, um, and scripts because I think often our strategies and scripts, I should say, because we need the story to understand what's happening. We need the strategies because like we said, you need to know what to do. Don't just tell me to like raise a strong girl. Um, and then we need the scripts. Like, what does that sound like when you're having a conversation? Mm which is how we teach our kids a lot of the time. We're talking, talking, talking. So I'm going to write that down because I like alliteration. You're good at having these little snappy (laughs) kind of catchy pieces. It's become my thing, but I think it could also borderline annoying. But yeah, I like (laughs) stories, stories, uh, strategies, and scripts because I think that really is, um, they're just easy takeaways. Like it's very easy to hear and be like, oh, if I just said this to her, if I just said, you know, your sadness makes sense. Well, now sadness in this little girl is like normal mm. and like she owns her sadness and she's, you know, not doubting herself or trying to push the sadness down. It's just sadness. And like, then she can, you know, can talk about what to do with the sadness and then the sadness goes away. And like, yeah. now we have a very healthy, emotionally healthy little girl. Own um, the situation before you can work yeah. on it, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. So instead of dealing with these problems, it's like, or we could prevent a lot of, a lot mm. of problems. Sure. Well, before I ask you the the infamous final question, I just want to, do you want to take a few seconds real quick and like plug your website or where we can get the book or something like that? Yeah, sure. My website is my name, lindsaysteely.com. You can also follow me on Instagram, all the socials really, but I I look at Instagram the most and that is at boldnewgirls, B-O-L-D-N-E-W-G-I-R-L-S. Thank you. I'll, I'll pop a link to the site and things in the show notes as well. So the last question, um, which we always like to ask, is if there is an existing book that you wish you'd been the person to write, what would it be? Okay. there. Like, I I read a book a week. So this is, like, an impossible Same. question. <laughs> really, like, this has, this has been my practice for a while, since Audible, because it makes it easier when I'm in my car. Um so it is impossible to choose one. Like I, I, I think I love them all. Like maybe not equally, but I always like gain tons of ideas and wisdom and practical tools. But I think the best thing to do is just to share the book I'm currently reading. Okay. And so it's by Dr. 
Becky Kennedy, and it really fits into my next project. So I'm super excited about it. And it's called Good Inside. And it's really, um, I think her heartfelt message is that, you know, we're all good as humans. We're good and we're trying to do good things and we're doing our best. And we're also totally screwing up, making (laughs) mistakes and falling and failing. And that's okay. And so it's a very positive, I think, and empowering approach. Like, hey, like as a parent, like I know you're trying and here are some tips um, and tricks really to try differently because this might work better for you. But, you know, if it doesn't work, do this instead. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's just full of ideas. And I think it's really like probably the most supportive book I've read. So instead okay. of saying like, okay, like you probably messed up or you're going to have to go back and do tons of therapy before your parenting is back on track. It's not like that. It's just like, Hey, I'll meet you where you're at. And I know you're doing good. Don't no need to feel shame or mm. guilt or badly about anything, but from now on, you could probably do it differently okay. or a little bit better. And like, there you go. See how that works for you. Seems if it like doesn't work. That's okay. It's so good. And it's, nice. you know, it's backed by research and her experience as a therapist. But I, my takeaway is just, it's very, very, very affirming. Like you're doing a good job. Mm-hmm. And that's what we need to hear because we have so much self-doubt and so much shame, I think, that we're making mistakes mm. or fear. Like what if I'm screwing my child up and and that's it, game over. And she just makes you feel like wherever you're at is good. And of course, we, as humans, we all just want to grow and, and try to do a little bit better every day. Loved it. Good inside. Awesome. Brilliant. Well, yeah. Lindsay, thank you so much for uh, for calling in and chatting to us. I love the book. My and as pleasure. I say, I'll put the link in the notes and everything like that. And uh, take awesome. care. Thank you so much, Eve. Okay, bye. Awesome. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, there we go. An uh, unexpected call from Lindsay Seeley. We discussed her book more for more on last month's episode. So that was that was lovely. Nice. We that two columns nice, this nice month um, so go, wow, go check out crazy. all of our friends and all of the authors that we discuss pj i'm gonna finish this month with our song one of my new songs uh, campus quadrangle from the mm-hmm. 2022 tips and if you go to booksboys.com right. you can find the, the link to, to all those songs as a little treat i like it Sounds do you good. want to finish with a recommendation or have we gone long enough I think we've gone long enough. I just recommend, uh, if there is one book I really recommend, it's In the Attic, which I just mentioned before. So uh, the long list, start off with the In the Attic book to, to spark with the imagination. Okay. But yes. Well, there we go. Guys, I hope this episode hasn't been too long, but next month will be Christmas. It'll be a little bit shorter. I'm going to be in Spain for part of the month, so I'm going to be not reading as much. I'll be on holiday. Um I didn't do a lot this month, though. I did a lot of dancing, and I made some some Christmas cards using flower. Got into flower pressing, um, but I didn't do any trips or or do too much other interesting stuff. So, so guys, we're gonna once again yeah, next month. Remember, you can catch us at booksboys at hotmail.com or you can find us on Instagram at booksboys podcast. If you want to get in touch, send us books, send us nice messages, tell us that we oh, have nice do. hair. And oh yes, we will leave it there, guys. I'm gonna get the DJ to spin that record, Campus Quadrangle. And we'll be back in about a month. See ya. Autumn leaves blow by, red and orange crisp beneath my feet. Time passes me by, while others do the same as me. A few minutes ago, class finished, now I'm on my way. 
got no place to go. It's the same story every day, a bench beneath a tree. I sit here and collect my thoughts, you sit across from me. Holding a coffee you just bought, over there on the grass. They share a kiss, eyes full of love, stuck in a boring lecture. She looks out of a window from above, and well now here we are. In the campus quadrangle, I sit here for an hour. As the people come and go, the people gather here, debating issues of philosophy, and some just rush on by. They got some place they need to be. He comes carrying books. Under his arm from the library, she receives admiring looks, growing into the woman she wants to be. A place for discussion, and passers-by in a hurry too, for friends to get together, and for lonely dreamers like me and you. You get up and go, I never got the chance to talk to you, empty coffee cup sits alone. A missed connection you never knew. Now, well, now here we are in the campus quadrangle. I sit here for an hour as the people come and go. Books Boys was presented by the Dean and PJ Burke in association with. Thaddeus Penguin Productions. Ah. This episode was brought to you by our sponsor, The 2022 Tips. If you would like to get in touch, you can email us at booksboys at hotmail.com or visit us at booksboys.com. The intro uses Driving in the 70s from the Of Soundtracks and Garage Bands EP by Trapdoor, and the outro uses Dog's Light by Bravo Max from the album of the same name. All music used is either podsafe or used with permission. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash booksboys, get the show early, and all of our bonus Boy shows, and you can also check out our music on Spotify or Apple Music. Thank you kindly for listening to us. Please tell your friends and come back next time for another episode of Books Boys. Read some books! I ain't got anything for the blooper reel this month. God, we way too long. We went way too long. But uh, next month, Christmas, we're gonna wrap it up nice and short, nice and best. Let's do it. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.